Guys, if you're visiting with us today, I hope you feel right at home. It really, it's so good to be together today. Guys, we as a preaching team, so if you're new to what we do and who we are, we preach kind of four big preaching series every year, once per term, per quarter. And those series are carried by our whole preaching team together. And then kind of in between, like Easter and those sort of things, we preach like we preached Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday um, last week. But these series are such epic times just to build. And so as we've been thinking and praying as a team together of what's, what is God saying to us, we've just finished an incredible time looking at um, the person of the Holy Spirit and what He does in the church over the first quarter of this year. And just so many testimonies of God's grace, of understanding the conversations at home groups around that, people being filled with the Holy Spirit, just empowered for life. It, it's been amazing. We felt that this book of Revelation, like there should be no book in the Bible that is like, um, you know when Mufasa and Simba go to the edge of that thing and then they look out and he's like, Dad, what's that over there? And he's like, that's... You know, the elef- was the elephant graveyard? Yeah. Like, we don't go there. You know, some Christians, it's like, Dad, what's that over there? That's the book of Revelation. We don't go there, <laughs> you know? And it's, it shouldn't be that. Because it's the one book that paints a picture of what the future looks like. And in the times that we are sitting and living in today, like, the one thing that does feel really uncertain the last few years, of, if the last few years have shown us anything, is that the future feels a, can feel a little bit like sketchy. And so we're going to be in the book of Revelation for 10 weeks, then we're having a break over the July holidays, and then we're coming back and we're doing another 10 weeks. So for the next six months, this is our home address. Uh, it's going to be, guys, it's amazing. Last year we preached the book of Ecclesiastes. Guys were like, why do you pick these super hard books to preach? Legit. There are guys in this church that the book of Ecclesiastes has become like, uh, the most, like the most precious book in the Bible to them because of its honesty. It was so good in a time when the world was so without meaning. It's like, yeah, it is without meaning. Solomon doesn't even try to fight that with the book of Ecclesiastes. He's like, yeah, for sure, 100% means nothing, none of it. Yeah. Okay, well then what does mean something? And then we were able to build from there. So introduction to the book of Revelation. So I'm the guy who gets to kick this thing off. And it's so cool preaching these series because usually when you preach a one-off sermon, you kind of preach it like you start and end it. But today it's like kind of you preach and then you leave a Lego block for Anita to clip in next week. And then uh, uh, Chris is clipping on the following week and then on from there. So it's going to be really, really groovy. So please turn with me in your Bibles to something you've probably never heard in church. To Revelation chapter 1. Are you ready? Here we go. It's going to be amazing. I joke about it, but friends, honestly, like you are in for the ride of your life over the next while. I, I like, can't tell you how I was messaging everyone late, late last night about how pumped and excited I was. Um, and sorry to all the people that got the message, all the guys on the leaders team and the, the elders and the preaching team. I was like, oh, this is amazing. I know it's like two in the morning or whatever, but this is all. <laughs> anyway, let's read Revelation 1 verse 1 to 3. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. I'm blessed right now. (laughs) Let me say that again. 
Double blessings. <laughs> blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Now, if you look at the beginning, it says the revelation from Jesus which God gave him. Now, the him there, I'm just jumping in, guys. We've got so much to get through. Are you ready to rock and roll? You've got your seatbelts on, crash helmets. We're not playing games. Where are we going? Okay, here we go. The him there is not John. It should be a capital H. It's Jesus. This is the revelation given from the Father to Jesus, and it is the revelation of Jesus. Now, of can mean a couple of things. Of can mean, on one hand, about, but it can also mean from right? The revelation of Jesus, it could be a, the revelation about Jesus, but it could also mean the revelation from Jesus. So I want to look at both of those things because it means both. Let's look first at the fact that this is the revelation about Jesus. And guys, this is absolutely amazing. This whole book, the book of Revelation, is about Christ. Now, the reason that, like, and that has to settle in when we kick off, Imagine if I said to you, who is the central person or the central thought in the book of Matthew, in the Gospels? It's Jesus. It's a whole story about Jesus. He was born. He did all his things. He was amazing. And then he died for our sins. The whole, all four of the Gospels are central around the person of Christ. And what's so incredible is, is this book of Revelation is exactly the same. It is central to the person of Christ. The whole New Testament is top and tailed by stories about Jesus. One of them is the picture of the slain lamb, Jesus coming to die for our sins, and the end is central to Christ, the coming king. And it's so easy for us to get distracted and not see that Jesus is the central thought to the book of Revelation, because there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. There's people with horns, there's crazy chicks, there's all sorts of stuff going on in the, in the book of Revelation, and crazy guys, but it's, it's a, like a... There's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on there. As bizarre as it would be to think about the book of Matthew without thinking about the story of Jesus. That's how bizarre it is to think about the book of Revelation without thinking of Jesus as the central figure. And all, all of a sudden, it just starts to settle some stuff for us because so often, Jesus isn't. Revelation's the place where cults go looking for their mandate, where fruitcake theologians go to look for their raisins. I wonder, Cass, can I borrow you and Eden? Or Eden, can I borrow you and Cass? I want to show you guys something quickly. Can you guys stand looking at me like this? Eden, can you stand behind Cass like that? Perfect. Uh, can you stand a little bit closer to me? No, no, but you can stand a bit further back. Thank you. <laughs> I want to teach you just quickly something on what's called prophetic perspective. And it's really important in understanding this when we look at Old and New Testament prophecy. When I stand like this over here by you guys, it's very easy to see the gap between Eden and Cass. This, right? But when I stand over here, it's hard to tell the difference between the two because they, they, I don't know how far away they are from each other. Now, so many of the Old Testament prophecies, well, the Old Testament prophesies about the coming Christ as the lamb, the slain lamb, but also Christ as the coming king. It prophesies about both. But the guys who were prophesying didn't have perspective because they're sitting here. And so when you read the prophecies, they're kind of jumbled. There's some that are about Jesus as the coming Christ. There's some about Jesus as the slain lamb. And so this is where the Jews went wrong, right? The Jews were expecting the coming Christ. They were expecting when Jesus came for him to come smash the Romans. Thank you so much, guys. You're amazing. 
Couldn't have done that myself, literally. <laughs> Thank you. And the Romans were expecting the coming Christ to come as this glorious king who was going to smash everyone, which is the, the story, the picture in the book of Revelation that's prophesied towards. But they didn't have that sense of prophetic perspective. And what's beautiful is we have it now because we sit in the middle, right? We have the Gospels in our past and we have Revelation in our future. And we can see the prophetic words ar around who Jesus is. Guys, Christ is at the center of this entire book. Let me take you through it quick. In chapter one to three, Christ is the exalted priest king in amidst his church. That's where we're spending the first 10 weeks in the first three chapters. And then we're gonna spend the next 10 weeks in the other 20 chapters. But these first, three the first 10 weeks, he is the exalted priest and king in the middle of his church. In chapter 4 and 5, he's the glorified lamb on the throne. In chapter 6 to 18, Christ is the lion in the midst of the nations, judging the nations. In chapter 19, he is the conquering king of kings who is returning on the clouds. In chapter 20, he is the heavenly bridegroom with his bride, the church, at the marriage supper of the lamb. And in chapter 21 and 22, he is the light in the midst of the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Jesus is central to every single page of the book of Revelation. Jesus at the center of all of it. So can I ask you a question today and be a little bit controversial and get up your nose and in your face? When you hear about the book of Revelation, what are you expecting to hear? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. For some of us, it tickles our curiosity, right? It piques our interest in something mysterious. It's that ooh book. Friends, just as much as the Gospels are the place we go to see Christ, the book of Revelation is exactly the same. It's where we go to see Christ. Jesus at the center. We're not looking for signs and future hoo-hahs and trying to work it out and this many days and that many people and this many armies and that many. Jesus at the center. Because if we take our eyes off Jesus, we lose everything. So many people approach the book of Revelation because they're looking for knowledge. I want to know about end times. I want to know about the future. But knowledge can never be central to understanding this book. Just like with everything, the only thing that makes any sense in understanding any part of the Bible is love. 1 Corinthians 13, if I have the gift of prophecy, I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. The love of Jesus for his church. The love of Jesus for the world. The love of Jesus for those who are lost. The love of Jesus for his church. Our love for him. How does that love work itself out in, in the end of the world? That's what the book of Revelation lays out for us, God's heart. So that's firstly, it is the revelation about Jesus, the one at the center. But secondly, it's the revelation from Jesus. The revelation from Jesus, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Verse 1, he made it known by sending his, sending his angel to his servant John. And so there's, a, there's quite a, a distinctive order of how this happened. It started off the Father, because Jesus said no man knows the times or place, not even the Son, only the Father knows. And so the Father gives the revelation to Jesus, and Jesus, through an angel, gives the revelation to John, who's on the Isle of Patmos, the disciple John. 
who in all humility referred to himself in, all of, in his book as the disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> what a legend. He never said me. He just said, you know, there was James and Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved. I wonder if he had a hat and whatever. So who was this guy, John, right? Well, he was one of Jesus' disciples. He was the brother of James. And he wasn't always such a mushy guy, right? He was such a violent guy. Once he walked out of a city and James and John said to Jesus, should we call down lightning and destroy this place? They were called the sons of thunder, John and James and John. The guy's psycho like oaks, right? He wrote the gospel of John and he wrote the three letters, one John, two John, and three John. And I think it is so beautiful, friends, that the disciple that Jesus loved began the New Testament with one of the Gospels about Jesus and completes the same New Testament still writing about Jesus. So sick. That's who God picked right at the end as well. The key is love. The disciple that Jesus loved. Can I ask you a question today? Are you also able to refer to yourself the same way, friend? Because I think being able to understand God's revelation and God wanting to speak to us and walk with us, He wants us to be able to refer to ourselves as the child that Jesus loved. Because then the story of what He did for me in the Gospels makes absolute sense. And the fact that He will carry me into glory one day also makes absolute sense because I am the child, I am His son, I am His daughter who Jesus loved in our everyday reality. So what's so in, oh, what is so interesting about John's understanding of being the one who was loved had nothing to do with the circumstance. When I had a look at this, because when I heard about Patmos, if you Google Patmos, it looks like a holiday island. It's, it's like a Greek island, right? You know like when people go to the Greek islands on holiday? That's where I thought John was. Not so much, right? He was on the Isle of Patmos. So... Let me just explain a little bit what was going on back in these days. The emperor at the time, the Caesar, the guy who was ruling the Roman Empire, was a guy called Domitian. And this guy was chopped to the power of lots. He proclaimed himself an emperor god. There were a few of them who it got to their head a little bit, the little laurel wreath, the little green thing that they wore on their head or whatever. Like it got to their head and he proclaimed himself a god. And so... In on where uh, John was busy preaching, John was based in Ephesus. All the other disciples were martyred, except for John, history teaches us. So John was leading the church in Ephesus. And Domitian set up a temple to himself, because he was humble that way, in the city of Ephesus. And John's teaching would have run completely counter, because John would have taught, hey, Domitian can think what he wants to think. But let me tell you the truth, people, there is one God. There is one name by which we may be saved. Preach Jesus. And Domitian took that a little bit personally. And so John was sent to the Isle of Patmos. Now Patmos was a prison island, a little bit like our infamous Robben Island here in South Africa, except that prisoners didn't sit in their cells all day. There were coal mines on the island. And the prisoners were forced to work in the mines. Now, John's an old man in his 80s, forced to work every day in these mines, like slave labor in a, in a camp, hard labor. And he's still able to refer to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. He didn't think that God's love for him, right, was based on his circumstance. 
he was still the disciple that Jesus loved. And this whole thing happens. When I, was in the, I don't want to steal Chris's preach. But um, on the, she said, I was on, in the, on the Lord's Day. I was caught up in the spirit. And go, God, how could you do this to me? Flip, man. After everything. Here I am, 80 years old, bending my back, being worked to death in a mine on an island, forgotten, pulled away from my congregation, pulled away from other Christians, stuck with political prisoners. And here I am. This is how I'm going to end my life. You know the one degree of glory to the next picture we have, that we grow in influence and we grow in wealth and we, you know, health, wealth and prosperity and eventually we be... John's life didn't look anything like that. He would have passed away maybe with a small congregation on the island that he would have preached to, with working in a, in a mine. The disciple that Jesus loved, sometimes I'm saddened by what so easily causes me to lose sight of Jesus and his love for me. It's, it's incredible when, under, when the understanding of love, what it does to our reading of the book. This up front, it says, these things must soon take place. The time is near. When love is the center of it, then there's this like excitement about it. If there's no love, when I read that, I'm like, God's going to act against the earth and he's going to squash everyone and it's going to be terrifying. But, and I, and I love this, if love is at the center, then we Yes, Lord, it must happen soon because I want to be with you. I'm in agreement. Yes, these things must happen. Lord, I can't wait to be with you one day. That's why Paul says, like, I, I'm with you, but I'd much rather be with Christ because he understood the reality of what it meant. And what we end up doing, and I, I love this, if you, if, you, if you look at the book of Revelation as well, right at the beginning, it's God saying, these things must happen and they must happen soon. There's an urgency about it. And right at the end of the book of Revelation, in Revelation 22 in, from verse 16, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches, kind of wrapping it up. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. And look who's now saying, Lord Jesus, come, the spirit and the bride. It's us now going, flip, in light of all of that, in light of what God is going to do, in light of the way he comes and he, he brings justice and he brings um, redemption and, he, and the fulfillment of all the promises that he's promised us. Come, Lord Jesus. There's like, there's this joy and there's this excitement in our heart knowing that he holds us in the palm of his hand. Takes away the fear. These things must happen indeed. And so, to kind of wrap this thing up, Revelation, and this is also really, really, really groovy. I, I mean, it's all super groovy, but Revelation is the only book in the entire Bible that comes with a blessing the promise of a blessing if we read it. Crazy, right? It's almost like God knew that it, we might be a little bit skitsy about it. So he's like, take a walk on the wild side. It's going to be awesome. I want to bless you. Revelation 1, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take, it to, heart, uh, take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. There's three blessings there. First one, to those who read it aloud. So Chris sent me a message last night. Chris, where are you, bro? You're Chris, you're there. Chris sent me a message last night. He's like, dude, like, what? License to read as much of this book out loud as we can, bro, because just whoever reads this out loud, we're blessed, right? 
So if Chris gets up and preaches in three weeks, he just reads the book of Revelation for half an hour, and that's all he does, and just starts to glow like a light bulb. <laughs> who reads it aloud, firstly. Secondly, those who hear it. And thirdly, who take, it, who take to heart what is written. Friends, there's a blessing that comes. And I'll explain what that means. This isn't like a magic spell. It's not like a spell book that if you read it, all of a sudden, you know, going into a meeting, just read Revelation chapter 1. Walked in and everybody just was like, what would you like? Not like that at all. Okay. But listen to this. If you read this book and hear it and take it to heart, you will be blessed as your life, as you read it, will be forever altered by the revelation of who Christ is and what he is doing. Because friends, that's the only way we change. You go back to the gospel. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Ooh, sounds like a lot of work. Doesn't end there. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And as we read this revelation of Christ, this picture of who he is, the coming king, and, and what the future looks like, all of a sudden things begin to change inside of us. Our priorities start to change. Our emphases, the things that we consider important. There was the triple thing that I told you about at the staff meeting. Sorry, private joke. <laughs> I just did it. Oh, I wasn't going to do that. Anyway, but not just, not just the revelation of Christ as the, um, the fallen lamb or the, the lamb who was slain for us. Because for so many of us, that's where it stops. The importance of the book of Revelation is it finishes the story of Christ. He's not just the, the slain lamb. But he is the conquering king who comes back and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, whether they like it or not. It finishes the story, friends. And because of that, we will be blessed. Each person being reminded of the incredible truth that Christ has prepared a place for us in eternity. Like he knows what you like. I don't know. Like some of you, it's just going to be like, what was, I mean, what's Mr. Price home everywhere? All those weird leather carpet things, you know, that stuff? The big mirrors. Others of you like more rustic beach vibes. Me, Shaq on the beach, first swimming past, awesome. He's prepared a place for us in eternity. He will return for us, friends. One day, Jesus will end all corruption, all sin, all sickness, and all death once and for all. And that's the reason why we need to read this book. And that's the reason why we are blessed when we read it. Because nothing is now endless. Endless corruption, endless sin, endless suffering, endless death. No, there is a full stop that comes at the end of all of those things. Because one day Christ calls an end to it all. The coming king. And the reason, they, the reason John said you're blessed to read it out loud is because back in the day, people didn't own Bibles. Right? So they would have just had letters or scrolls and not everybody could read. And so it was considered so incredibly precious when someone would stand up and read these words. People would just be sitting there like, oh my word, this is incredible. And I think the tragedy of today is that most of us have got two or three Bibles in our home. Lying around, got Bibles on our phone, Bibles gathering dust on our shelves. And contained within that book, and the Bible, and contained within this book, the book of Revelation is the revelation of the coming king, the one who brings all of history to its consummation. 
If I knew that blessing comes from spending time in God's word, if I only knew that. As I've been preparing, friends, and as the preaching team have been preparing for this, I, I don't want to over-exaggerate this, but guys, we have been so blessed. I mean, we started off a little bit nervous, I think. Hey, like a little bit chalky, like a little bit sketchy, a little bit. But as we started to dig into this, it's like this quiet hum that starts in your heart. You know, like just God's going to do something. God wants to speak to us. God wants to complete the picture. God wants to show us who he is. He wants to open our eyes to truth that we sit and we trip over the smallest and most meaningless stuff. Because we can't see the big picture. We can't see the end picture. We, can't, we lose perspective on it all. And this book of Revelation comes. And the Father gives it to Jesus. And Jesus gives it an angel to give to John. Why? So that it's like this book takes us and puts its hand under our chin and lifts up our heads. Stop looking at what you're looking. Can you see what I see? It's like, whoa. Like, could this be, could it be that good? Could it be that true? Yes, it is. It definitely is. Bigger, stronger, more secure, encouraged, and excited for the future, friends. In the weeks to come, as we publicly read this book, together as a church, we, friends, you're going to be properly challenged. I'm just warning you up front. Like these, the seven letters to the churches that are coming in a couple of weeks' time. Like, if you struggle with a chiropractor, just warning you, like, wear a neck brace when you come to church because you're going to get cracked properly. Because for seven weeks, we will hear Jesus talking about what he loves about his church. And you know what's tragic, friends? Most of us have been informed, or many of us have been informed, by other people about what Jesus loves about his church. Others have told us Jesus thinks this is important. Or maybe they didn't even do that. Maybe they just tried to own the church for themselves and said, I think this is important. And I think, or we think, they hide in the collective. But to sit in here, how does Jesus see his church? What does he consider to be important about his church? Friends, that's like, that's like nukes landing there. Actually on you because you are the church. There's nowhere to hide. They're like the little butterflies that get pinned to the polystyrene by those psycho-naturalist people. <laughs> like that. I'm just trying to create some good mental images here. <laughs> just helping the team here. I always have to take the hits up front, you know, for the preaching team. So when you feel pinned, guys, like, Jesus is all up in our stuff. You're going to be so challenged. Can I say this to us, friends? Please don't fight the challenge. Allow the blessing. Embrace the change. Take God's word. Because remember it says, the, the, three, the three people who blessed, reads aloud, hear it, and take to heart what is written. Because it's easy to have it read aloud to you, to hear it and not take it to heart. No blessing. Embrace the change. Take God's word to heart and trust him to open showers of blessing over you that you have not experienced in your lifetime. And you know I'm not a health, wealth, and prosperity and whatever preacher. But I honestly believe that there are almost like showers or hose pipes or whatever, faucets, to use an old word, um, of blessing that sit locked, not because we're being disobedient necessarily, but just through lack of revelation. 
And so this book is given to us to be able to unlock these things. That's why we're preaching this series, to be reminded so that our church community, each one of us can walk in more of the blessing of Jesus, the slain lamb, but also the coming king. Can I pray for us? I trust the enthusiasm is infectious. I trust the joy is starting to... Guys, God, God's going to speak to us. Like snap, Take a snapshot of your life right now. Because I'm telling you, in 10 weeks' time, you will not be the same person. And so can I ask us this this morning as we, as we land this? I'm going to give the mic back to Chalky. Just preach this series to the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who opens up and shows us God's love. The Bible says that it's the, God's love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And I could ask us to submit to God's word and make all these promises to God that we're going to not fight him and all this hoo-ha. I love to pray that God just fills us again by his Holy Spirit. Love. Lord, our hearts are open. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come. We ask you now that you would fill us again. Fill our hearts to overflowing. Lord, let love and joy bubble up inside again. God, just like we need your help, I pray that you take all of our preconceptions, Lord, around your word and this book and all this stuff and just put it to the side. Lord, our, our hearts sit, we sit there with an open table in front of us. Say what you want to say, Lord. Speak what you want to speak. Fill us, Lord. Want to be those, Lord, who are able with conviction to say, I am the one that Jesus loves. And he wants to speak to me. And I can't wait to take that same word and then speak it to others. Pray for that conviction, Lord. For those of us, Lord God, who struggle with that concept because of whatever our preconceptions are, we feel at a distance, perhaps at times, and we feel like you love others and not us. God, I pray for healing this morning in Jesus' name. Pray over the course of this next while, Lord, that that would be our, our word. I am the one that Jesus loves. He knows my name. He wants to speak to me. He's waiting for me each morning, and he holds me each night as I fall asleep. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. You might be asking yourself the question, how can I take this further? Firstly, you can send us your contact details to cindy at centerchurch.co.za where we can include you in our online connect groups and you can receive our daily devotional. Secondly, you can hop on our website where you can access previous sermons and find out more about who we are at Center Church. Thirdly, if you consider yourself as part of Center Church, we want to thank you so much for your ongoing financial partnership. The banking details are on the website. Thank you so much for joining us and hope you have an amazing day.